So, today, maybe we'll discuss uh, two topics. Do you want to share? Yeah. yeah. Today we'll discuss two topics. One, what well, we do every week, we do something of the Parsha. But I figured like bomber is coming up on Thursday, so we'll discuss a little bit like bomber. So to do with like bomber. So we'll try to cover a little bit of both. But the first thing in the parsha, again, there is a lot of different uh, different um, ideas and uh, concepts and various different uh, verses. But can't cover everything. We'll stop at one verse in the middle of the of the parsha. The verse goes through all the various different holidays that we celebrate. Parshat Amor has basically all the holidays. It starts, it goes through by the, um, by the calendar. It goes through the calendar. It goes through month by month. It tells you all the holidays. It goes from one holiday to the next holiday. It goes actually in the sequence of the year. And it tells you all the holidays. And then there is a... Um, a question, a, a, you know, a, a problem that it seems that the Torah, right before it starts to talk about the holidays, it tells you about keeping Shabbat. Now, Shabbat is not a holiday. Shabbat is Shabbat. Shabbat is the seventh day of the week. The holidays are celebrated throughout the year, but Shabbat is celebrated every week. And somebody can argue, okay, well, Shabbat is, is, is a day of rest, and the holidays are a day of rest, and they're all days of, of, you know, so they have a connection. But if you see in the verse, the verse begins, as we're going to see, the verse begins and says, these are the times of the year that you have to celebrate, and it gives off, starts off with Shabbat. So Rashi makes a comment over here. Rashi says like this, that what the verse, the reason that we stuck in, we're going to read it in a minute, the reason we stuck the verse about Shabbos right in the beginning is to tell you that one who observes the holidays is considered like he's observing Shabbat. One who desecrates the holidays is considered as if he would be desecrating Shabbat. And that's why the Torah writes the Shabbat in the beginning to show you that. Now, the question is, so what is it about uh, that we have to, what is it about Shabbat? I mean, why is desecrating the holiday like desecrating the Shabbat? I mean, why would it be different? What's, what's the point over here? If the Torah says you can't violate the Yom Tov, or you got to observe the Yom Tov, so you, you violate the Yom Tov, it's like you're violating the Yom Tov. What does it mean it's considered like violating the Shabbat or observing the Shabbat? So, you know, the way God created the world, you want to say something? I remember you taught us about Pesach time, that it's also known as Shabbat. The, the holiday of Pesach is yes. called Shabbat, because that's good, because it's called Memachrat HaShabbat. Is a reference to Yom Tov too. Yom Tov can also be called Shabbat. That's very good. But in this particular case, the Shabbat over here uh, that the verse talks about is actually the seventh day. That's not the holiday which is called Shabbat. The reason why the holiday can be called Shabbat because Shabbat means a day of rest, and you know you still the basic just so just 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 to cover this also the basic difference between the observance of Shabbat and the holiday is, on the holiday you know you're allowed to cook. 
On Shabbat, you're not allowed to cook, but on the holidays, you're allowed to cook. The Hebrew term, the Pesach term of it is called Ochel Nefesh, which means the Torah allows you what you need for your for food. That's why carrying various different malachas which are connected to food are permitted on the Yom Tev, and they're not permitted on the Shabbat. Um, but still, what is the equation here that we're trying to equate the Yom Tev to Shabbat? I'll share with you a thought. Um, generally, God didn't create the world finished. Which means God left over a lot of things in the world that he wants us to fix. He wants us to do the tikkun olam. Many times we find in the Talmud people are asked, uh, for example, if God wants people meant to be circumcised, so why does he create them with a foreskin and then circumcise it? He should have created them without the foreskin, so they would have been circumcised. Why? If God, another question, if God wanted to uh, people to be rich, or he wanted us to give, what, why, if, if he wanted them, if he wants us to give them the money because they should have the money, so why did he not make them rich themselves? Why do I have to make them rich? Why do I have to get involved in God's world? But, and the same thing is, we see in, in many other aspects of life. Why did God not create that the bread should grow on the tree like the, like the fruits? Uh, what do we to get some bread, we have to first plow the land, we have to sow the grain, we have to cut it, to harvest it, thresh it, do so many works and bake it, knead it, and bake it until we can finally have it. We gotta go through a lot of work. We don't just go to the tree and take it off. And the same thing is that's called tikkun olam. God wants us to the yadecha When you get something which is for free, which is you don't pay anything. It doesn't have any value, really. At the end of the day, it has no value because it's it's called, basically it's called shameful bread. It's bread that you get, somebody gives you. If you're living off of the welfare programs and if you're living off of uh, other kinds of Section 8 and other kinds of different uh, handouts of the government, you may get by, but it's not a, not a good feeling because God wants us and creates us that we should work, we should work hard, we should earn, we should change, we should make tikkun olam, we should fix the world, and it, it takes work, it doesn't just happen by itself, that's the way Hashem wants. And as we spoke of many times, as in the example, God created, because God wants you to make the bris, the covenant, it has to be up to you. Uh, God wants to give you the the mitzvah and the opportunity to show your kindness by you helping out the other person. That's God's way of, 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 of telling you. God doesn't want the other person to uh, be uh, poor. No, don't say that because otherwise why is he poor? 
He's poor because God wants to make sure that you are going to be kind enough. You're going to find it in your heart to help them out. That's why God does that. So the world is such that um, it needs us. It needs our, I guess, our two cents. We have to put in. We have to do it. And we have to change the world for the better. I mean, if God wanted to create angels that don't have, he would have not created this world, he would have the angels, he would have stopped over there. Why did God create us the world? So he wants us to make it perfection. He wants us to perfect the world. He created the world. Now, God created a, a perfect world that needs the human beings to finish up the things that he left for them to finish up. And really, this is the meaning of the word word that we all say in the Kiddush. We say, Asher Boro Elikim La'asot, is when you say the Kiddush, that God has created to do. What does it mean God has created to do? God has created to do, which means for us to do, that we still got to do. God created it. He brought in most of it. He did most of the job, and then he wants us to go ahead and do the rest of it. And here we come to a big difference, similar to that, between the Shabbat and the Yom Tov. Because Shabbat is something which has been designated by God himself without the involvement of the human being. Or without the involvement of the rabbis, without the involvement of the Beit Din. Shabbat is Shabbat no matter what. We know after six days of the week, the seventh day is Shabbat. Then the cycle goes on, so on and goes on. Till the end of time, you know, you can say, we always know the seventh day is going to be Shabbat. The six days are weekday, the seventh day is Shabbat. Why is Shabbat holy? What makes, what makes Shabbat holy? God made it holy because God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh day. He declared that Shabbat should be the day of rest and that we should observe the Shabbat. So that's the that's that's Shabbat. So what gives Shabbos its power? What gives Shabbos its sanctity? Hashem. But take and contrast that with the Yontas, with the holidays. Holidays is totally different. Why? Because the holidays are determined by the days of the month. Now, if you're used to a calendar, a secular calendar, or the Gregorian calendar, whatever they call it, the regular calendar, if you're used to us uh, to that calendar, in that calendar, you know everything is set. You know they have already everything is set. The, the their calendar, the way it's set, it's set in a way that um, you have approximately the cycle of the seasons go by the uh, by the sun. The sun makes its um, cycle like once 365 and a quarter days is cycle and that's how we get and that's why we have small adjustments sometimes over there because there's a few minutes left over we get sometimes adjustment as it's figured out but the jewish holidays are determined by the hebrew months and the hebrew months you know if we have 12 months to the year if you have uh 12 times 30 or uh so you're going to have, uh, no, math? 360. 360. Oh. Yeah? I'm horrible at math. Oh, math. Your father is good at math. He knew about that. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. And, okay, and then if, so the, the problem is we're going to be short every year 
we're going to be short. If you make the, we go by the uh, lunar month, we're going to be short. So that's why you know that in the Jewish calendar, every few years, uh, we have a leap year. That's to make up for the days that we missed. That's one thing. Then, uh, why? Because the Torah doesn't just say, like Shabbos, you know, the seventh day is uh, ends, then it starts another day. So we don't say, well, 12 months are over, then we're going to continue, make another 12 months, and it's going to cycle again, because then what's going to turn out, Pesach is going to be in the middle of the winter, and Sukkot is going to be in the middle of the summer, because eventually, the extra days, that as they accumulate, they push off the season further and further. The Torah clearly states that the holidays need to take place in the right seasons. Matter of fact, the holidays are all connected to the harvest, to the call to agriculture. If you see, Pesach is connected to the time that you cut the, the grain, and uh, uh, Shavuos is when you dry, and, 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 and Sukkot is when you bring it in, into the house, you know, after the dryness in the winter, yeah? The only season in the Torah that's mentioned is Chag Aviv. Chag Aviv. Right. That's not the only, why are you saying that's oh, the I only one? I thought that's the main, or I thought that was the only no. season that's mentioned. No, Chag I think Aviv. that there is, the Torah says, Right in, in, in the Parshas Noyach, there's a mention of all the seasons over there, which they're not allowed. But, but okay, that, no, the oldest, there's all, all the seasons are there. But the Torah says, Shamoret Chodesh Aviv, that you have to guard the Chodesh Aviv, that Pesach should be in the month of Aviv. But the point here is, so how do we, how do we get? So we have to make adjustments. Now, who makes these adjustments? So today, if you look at a Jewish calendar, so technically, if you look at a Jewish calendar, they can figure out for the next, you know, and many years, they know exactly how it's going to come out because they've calculated every, everything that it should work out. But that's the way we have it now. But that's not really the way it's supposed to work. It works now because we don't have any other choice, and it's based, actually works now because it's been... Uh, it's been established earlier on that this is what it's, the way it should work. But the truth is, that's not the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is like this. Is that you have, the base that makes a decision. So the base that makes a decision, so based in sees that the season isn't working, or based in there's sometimes, Rashi brings another example in the Chumash. You know, you have like, the people are coming to Israel to Pesach. To, 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 to celebrate the Passover and the Temple. And they're coming from all over the land of Israel. Now, the land, the, the roads are muddy, and they had a winter like we had this year over here. <laughs> and it was impossible to get. Now, everybody's trying to get to... And the um, technology and the means of transportation in those days wasn't as uh, intricate as we have them today, with all the various different ways. They have to go by horse and buggy or by foot, whatever they would go. It would take a long time. Sometimes when the weather was really bad, you had people left their homes to go to Israel. They miscalculated because the winter became very severe. Now it turns out that they're not going to be Passover in the temple. So what does Bezdin do? Bezdin says, okay, we're pushing off Passover for... No. Pesach Rishon is going to, Bezdi is going to say, we're going to make this year a leap year. So instead of having one Adar, we're going to have two Adars. So these people have a whole other month to get to the Beit HaMikdash. 
Now, there's definitely going to be some smart Alex that are going to say, hey, wait, this is not really Pesach. This is based in, you know, just change the month. And everybody knew that Pesach is going to be in 30 days after Purim or whatever. And all of a sudden they stuck in another month to accommodate. And when they're accommodating the people that are going up to, to the temple... They're changing it for all of Israel. It's not going to be two Pesach. It's not that the people that are walking from there are going to uh, have one Pesach one month and the other people who are outside of Israel are not walking and have another month. Bezdin changed it. Bezdin made it not. That would be only one reason that I mentioned now that people have left to go to Jerusalem and they hadn't made it over there. That would be one reason why they would perhaps change at a month. But there were various differences. The Talmud brings down very, this is something that Rashi brings down in the Chumash. But what does it mean? It really means that who says to us when Pesach is, it's not Hashem, it's really the rabbis who determine that, based on the instruction that Hashem, that's only one issue. Now, there's also another issue, exactly which is the first day of the month. Now, if you notice, today we have sometimes two days Rosh Chodesh, sometimes one day Rosh Chodesh, depending on whether the month has 29 days or it has 30 days. But in the olden days, the way it would go is they wouldn't know exactly when Rosh Chodesh is until there were actually two witnesses who saw the moon and they would come to the Beit Din and they would testify. Then Beit Din say, okay, you saw the moon, today is Rosh Chodesh. Up to that point, there may not be Rosh Chodesh. What happens if they didn't see the moon? Or what happens if they didn't come for whatever reason? Or even if Bezdin found it necessary for other reasons. No, we're not going to make this month Rosh Chodesh, which would be on Sunday. This we're going to make it on Monday. We're going to push it off one day. You can only push it off. It's one or two days because the previous month can either be 29 days or it can be 30 days. If it's 29 days, then the next day is Rosh Chodesh. If the previous month is 30 days, then the next day is Rosh Chodesh. So, first day of the month. So, based, in, based upon the needs, based upon the testimony of the witnesses, various considerations for the based in, that's how based in would determine when Rosh Chodesh is. Now, once based in determines when Rosh Chodesh is, then you know when Pesach is, because Pesach is always going to be the 15th day of the month. The 15th day comes after the first day. If you don't know when, when the first day is, then you don't know when the 15th day is. And that's exactly, now you know, that's the reason why outside of Israel, we always have two days Yantif. Why in Israel they only have one day Yantif? Because by the time the people that lived outside of Israel found out which day was Rosh Chodesh, it was already too late. So therefore they had to have no choice. They had to make two days Rosh Chodesh. Two days Yantif, because they weren't sure which day? It took, them, it took them more before they didn't know by the time Yontav came around. So now they don't know. When is the 15th? Pesach is on the 15th. They don't know. Is it Wednesday or is it Thursday? I'm just giving you an example. They're not sure. Depending on when Bezdin made the Rosh Chodesh. But they had no way of communicating. There's no internet and there's no radio. There's no, there's no communication. There's no ways of, no satellites. Uh, there was no ways of them. Matter of fact, Originally, the Talmud tells us very interesting. They came up with various different kinds of, uh, of, of ways. Uh, in their initially, what they would do 
is they had set up various different high mountains all along Israel. And when the Rosh Chodesh came up, they would light a big fire on top of the mountain. And when that mountain saw, then the next mountain saw, and then the fire mountain saw, and then... But the spammers started then already, the trouble that were just spamming and doing, messing it up. You had people who wanted to mess up, and they put up a fire in the wrong day, just to confuse them, and they put it on the wrong day. So to get everybody else confused, and to, 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 to make it bad for the observant that wanted to observe it, to make it bad. So Beisden had no choice, and the communication was by personal. The person would go on a donkey, or other means, and he would travel from, an agent of Beisden would travel from community to community. That took a long time. That were took a long time. Used? Not for that. Not for that. You know, sometimes the uh, pigeons were used by Noah's table. They were used to find out if the dry water was dry already or not. And you know, you have these stories that about uh, pigeons were carrying notes and other things, but that's oh, not course, not. Yeah. But that's not in Rosh Chodesh, no. no, no, not as far as I know. I don't no. think so. But in any in any event, you know, in any event. What is the point over here? The point over here is that the holidays are not really totally up to God. It's up to the Beitin. So, at the end of the day, when we celebrate the holidays, some, somehow we can have a thought in our mind. The Christian is saying, well, you know, the holidays are not so important. Because at the end of the day, God didn't determine when it is. God only said the 15th day of the month, but who said what is the 15th day of the month? Who said what it is? That's the Basin said. Maybe Basin made a mistake, maybe miscalculated, but it's a human involvement. It's not anymore God. The difference between Shabbat and the holidays is Shabbat is automatically Kodosh. It's holy. But the holidays, Basin have to make it holy because Basin has to proclaim saying, you have to make that month, and then everything follows, but it's up to the basement, so it's involvement, it's a human involvement that causes it. So, I guess the interpretation is as follows then. Since one may think that the holidays are not important because they're really human, so Hashem is saying to you, no, no, no. If you keep the holidays, it's just the same as keeping the Shabbos. If you uh, desecrate the holidays, it's the same as desecrating, uh, desecrating the, uh, the holidays. And, and the same thing is true. It gives us, it tells us how important what we do in this world, how meaningful it is, that even though that's Hashem asking us that we should put our efforts into our accomplishments and, and to do things. As we said before, we have to make tikkun olam. We have to change the world for the better. We have to work hard. And, you know, being human beings, we always have, you know, things that distract us. Sometimes uh, we are not comfortable with certain, uh, certain things. You know, we have, everybody has their comfort zone and has their box and uh, what they feel at ease and to push themselves to do something more 
we, we hesitate or we're afraid. We don't want to go there. But we, the God created us, tells us, no, you got to do, you got to work. And if you work hard, you will be achieving and you will be successful. And as Shem is saying, it's like the same like the Shabbos. Even though it's your, God considers it, what you do, your effort is so special to Hashem. God is so proud of you and He's so happy with you that He tells you what you're doing on your own is equal to what I do. So you're actually a partner with me. God says, and actually Rashi brings this down, that uh, when we do right, when we do justice, when we judge fairly, when we do tikkun olam, we make the world a better place, we become partners with God. God created the world and we're sustaining the world because when we bring justice and right things and we do the right thing, then we actually help the world sustain and become partners with God. Which brings me also to the second part. We'll see if we have time to run inside. Which brings me to the second part because we also have the holiday, even though it doesn't say in the Torah, it doesn't say anywhere, we have Lag Bomber. So just a quick quiz. Anybody knows what is Lag Bomber? You know, what is, why are we making such a big deal of Lag Bomber? What happened, Lag Bomber? Anybody know? Yeah, you want to the say? The students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. During the, very good, during the Sephira days. Now, it just so happens that we count Sephira. There is no uh, real connection to the counting of the Sephira. It's just that it happened during that time. I'm saying on the superficial level. I'm yeah. sure in the esoteric level there is connection to everything. But what happened was, there was a great sage, his name was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was famous for the fact that not only that he became an outstanding and the leading of the sage and was the one that basically brought the tradition of the Talmud together with his contemporaries, for what we know today of the Talmud of the Mishnah, and the, one of the great sages, but he also had a very personal history and story of his own life, that, that he was a simple peasant, and he, till the age of 40, he hadn't had the opportunity to study. And most people would think, I think that the age of 40 significance that, you know, by 40 I'm already, you know, by most accounts I'm halfway there already. So, am I going to start, you know, anybody try to start your career at, a, um, at such a late stage in your life? And um, the um, story goes that he was a, a farmer and he worked in the house of this very aristocratic and very influential uh, person in, uh, in the community. And he had a daughter, Rachel. And Rachel uh, recognized that he was a really fine character, even though he may have been ignorant, he may have not been learned, but she realized that he was really a gem of a person. And she basically encouraged him that he should go ahead against the father's wishes. The father wanted her to marry some outstanding scholar, some important family, some, somebody of, uh, of a great... Uh, just to interject a story, uh, my father, Ova Shalom, used to say all the time the following story. He said that the, um, there was once a, a very wealthy man uh, in a city who wanted to uh, marry off uh, 
his daughter to a great outstanding scholar. He was a very wealthy man. He was uh, very distinguished. He was really on the top of the community. He was one of the... And there happens to be that there was a guy who was a very... Uh, on a low level. He was a... Today they call it a fundraiser. In the olden days they used to call it a schnorrer. In Yiddish they called it a schnorrer. means somebody who goes around collecting money. But today they made it into a beautiful profession. A fundraiser is a, became a, a, a... But... But he was considered to be of the, on the lowest of the levels. But he had a son who was an outstanding Tamil Chacham. He was a scholar, a brilliant everything, and a fine character, uh, just, just, just everything. Just. And this rich man wanted the boy. So he goes to the matchmaker, and he says to the matchmaker, he says, you know what? I want your son... He says to the matchmaker, tell this man, I want him as my son-in-law. Marry my daughter. And guess what? I'm going to give him everything that I own. He's not going to be lacking anything for the rest of his life with his family. And he can sit and study to his heart's delight. What an offer. No, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to do nothing. Just sit and study to her. So he brings the proposal to the father of the boy, to the Schnarrer. And the Schnarrer, he says, no, he says, I'm not interested in the Shidduch. He couldn't believe, he couldn't deal with rejection. What do you mean? I, the most important person in the town, is offering to you the scum, the, the, the Schnarrer, I'm offering you a Shidduch, and you're telling me no? But why no? So he says to him, look, he says, uh, Uh, so he says um, I'll tell you why I said I'm looking to marry somebody who's more at my level because I said you'll always be degrading to me you'll always call me schnorrer you'll call me schlepper you'll call me all names I don't want I'm looking for a shidduch with more but the guy says tell me whatever you ask for I need your son I want it he says to him okay he says on one condition he says I'm going to do it he says, if you agree to go out collecting with me together, you'll call me Shnara, I'll call you back Shnara. It will be the same. Well, he wants his son, he says, I'm going. All right. So they're going. So they, they pair up together. The way it used to be the custom in that communities that they used to go by peers. They used to go two together. And the attendant over there, the Gabai, he would distribute, like he says, you two go on this street, you two go on that street. And they would cover all these streets in the town and they would go collecting. So now we have these two mechutanim going together and they're going, going down the street. One time after a month and a half or two they're walking together. The poor guy says to the Jewish he says, he says, good, he says, we, deal is done, we can go ahead, we can make the shidduch, we can make this match. So the rich guy tells him, let's finish the street, he says. <laughs> <laughs> so now he didn't want to go. He says, "Let's at least let's finish the street before we." <laughs> That's beautiful. But in any event, I was saying about um, Rebecca Kiva married this this girl against her father's wishes. 
because her father wanted to marry a distinguished person. But as it turns out, that Rabbi Akiva had the famous story, he saw the water dripping on a rock, and it engraved and a little bit little, so he, he realized if water that is soft can make a hole in a rock, which is tough, then he said the words of Torah will be able to, um, to penetrate him. And he, and he ended up being very successful. And he had 24,000 students that came, and he became the greatest uh, sage, and uh, he, he attributed his success, of course, to his wife, who encouraged him and who, who, who bared with him for all those years that he was studying Torah and growing to become the Rebbe Akiva. And then, uh, unfortunately, this tragedy happened that the students of Rebbe Akiva, because, as the Talmud says, they didn't treat each other with respect, doesn't say that they degraded each other, they didn't treat with respect. And we, we had an occasion to talk about it. It means that they, they, they didn't feel that their uh, friends, their colleagues, are fully uh, committed to their uh, teachings of their teacher. This is part of our uh, problem that we suffer even today because you find uh, that sometimes people who are most close in ideology are the biggest enemies. Uh, mm-hmm. Look at the, you know, if the, I mean, Lahavdal, as you say, like the Muslims. I mean, they're all Muslims. They all go and they do their religion. But yet they kill each other, the, the, the Sunnis and the uh, Shiites and the various different groupings. And even, you know, sometimes you see the religious people get along better with some of the non-religious people, but amongst themselves the religious people can't get along. <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's your own which provides the bigger challenge for you than for somebody else. Somebody outside you figured... But somebody should know better. Like if somebody says, you know, I know also in, in, in Chabad, there's also, there's basically, there's uh, like two groupings in Chabad in which, you know, uh, they, and they both mean well, there's no question, they both do good, good, uh, good, and I love them. But they, everybody believes very strongly that uh, they understand how to interpret what the Rebbe wants to do. What are the two groups called? Okay, no, well, there's one. The Rebbe labored very, very hard. He made himself a goal that has not been physically realized. Perhaps Rebbe's goal was to move the conscience of the Jewish people and to bring in the era of Mashiach. So we should have Mashiach here. That has not happened in the literal sense. Uh, it may have happened figuratively, it happened in various ways, but it hasn't happened. We're still in exile, and we're still waiting for the Mashiach. And um, some in the Chabad believe that uh, that is the main emphasis that we have to, as Rebbe has pointed out during his, uh, when he was physically with us, the Rebbe said that this is the uh, job of the Jewish people today to concentrate on the study of the Torah and the mitzvahs to bring Mashiach a reality. So the only focus goal should never be removed from Mashiach. Uh, some of the others argue that uh, the way to go about that, they don't disagree in principle, but the way to go around about that is that you can't push it down people's throat and you got to sort of do it in a gentle way. You got to educate people. You got to bring them to Yiddishkeit 
in general, teach them Judaism, and then, you know, you'll teach them further ideas. So, but what happens is, because everybody feels so strongly that this is what the Rebbe really wanted to do, and the connection between a chassid and a Rebbe is unimaginable. It's very dedicated, it's a very devoted, it's a very um, um, deep uh, an inner connection with the Rebbe. It's not, it's a, it's a whole different level than than what we know. It's not like a teacher with a student or it's a different level and uh, so the people who are uh, committed to their Rebbe and want to do what the Rebbe wants them to do that's their goal in their life they're connected to the Rebbe so if they understood or understand that this is what the Rebbe wants then that's it they don't they don't consider anything else but their point of view and of course, they have rationalizations, they explain it, they have backups, they have old Rebbe's talks and various sides of the Rebbe. To counter them, the other ones will bring you other uh, proofs and uh, they'll bring other talks and other, other things. And um, what I do myself is I follow my father's advice, who always taught me. He says, Everybody does something good to give them the credit for what they do. But let somebody else fight. He says, you stay out of it. He says, do give everybody the credit for what they do. And he says, you know, don't, you don't, uh, but he says, everybody, everybody does, everybody has good intentions. Everybody's doing, doing what the way I understand. So the point is when we're talking about the students of Rabbi Akiva, because they love Rabbi Akiva really, and they really wanted to, perpetuate his memory and they wanted to uh, follow his instructions so therefore they um, uh, couldn't respect each other because they they weren't phonies they weren't just gonna do lip service or just you know say what they didn't believe so they they didn't respect them they said listen you guys are wrong you know you're you're you don't understand what Rabbi Kiva said and each one of the students had their own their own uh, thing. Now, the question, what happened is, on Lagbomer, the simple reason is that on Lagbomer, the students uh, no longer died. Some people finish during the days of Sphira, during the day that we remember them, they're passing. There are certain restrictions. I mean, it's probably not known to the wider community, but there's restrictions, like we don't do marriages during the time. Uh, it's considered to be a semi-mourning uh, period. We don't listen to, at least to live music. Some people don't listen to even recorded music. We don't go out and buy new clothes that cause you uh, a lot of pleasure. Uh, make a shechion or something. Uh, well, there's various leniency. If there's a sale, you know, you're not going to get it later, so there's, there's leniency with it. But I'm just saying, there are some restrictions during the time. But some people, once it comes like Bomber, they're done with it, and that's it. Some people continue till Shavuos. That's what we do. We don't do any weddings after like Bomber either, with the exception of like Bomber itself. Uh, and that's the reason for the celebration. But that's one reason. But then there is another, and can't say more important reason, but an additional important, very important reason is because on this day, Shima the holy Tana of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he passed away. Now, of course, you're going to ask me, so what is the reason to make a, 
a big festival uh, that he passed away. You know, normally one would expect that when a tzaddik passes away, you should reflect on his life, you should be very serious about it, you should um, do more prayers and more study, but why go and celebrate? You know, in Israel, uh, everybody travels to Miron. Miron is the resting place where the Holy Tana, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, together with his son, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was on the run for 13 years from the Roman government. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai once expressed a negative, uh, a negative thought. He said something negative about the government. And one of the people slandered him, went to the government and said, so the government wanted to kill him. And originally he hid in the shul, but then he was worried. So then he went away into a cave. And there was miraculously a carp tree and a well of water for his use, his and his son. And he studied there for 12 and 13 years. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai authored the most important book and the foundation of all of the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah comes from, you know what that book is called? Zohar. The Sefer HaZohar. The book of the Zohar, which is the fundamental uh, principles of the Kabbalah, is in the Sefer HaZohar, which was authored by the Holy Tana, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The study of the Kabbalah originally was something which only very few took part. Most of the people didn't study the Kabbalah. Uh, Today, they profane the Kabbalah because you have all kinds of crazies doing Kabbalah. But, uh, but the real, today, uh, the Arizal said, uh, Arizal was also one of the major Kabbalists, lived later on in the city of Tzafat. And he was a major um, uh, pillar of the Kabbalah as we uh, passing on the traditions. Um, and... Um, it was that it was the Kabbalah which is going to uh, be revealed in our days, that it's a mitzvah to reveal it in our days. And that's where we come into the teaching of Hasidus. Hasidic, the Hasidic thought and some of the ideas that I intertwine in my classes are based on the Hasidic thought. Uh, we don't learn directly from a Hasidic book, but all the Rebbe's talk, even when the Rebbe talks of general things, like the ideas of the Tikkun Olam and the various different ideas that we discussed, they're all based on some of the esoteric teachings of the Torah. And um, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai uh, was the founder of that. And now it's become more public, it's become actually a mitzvah, and it's actually Rav Shimon Bar Yochai was said that, that it was with the book of the Zohar that we will... Uh, eventually merit the coming of Mashiach, uh, actually through with the Kabbalah. So nowadays, uh, it's actually a mitzvah to study, not the Kabbalah as directly from the Kabbalah books, but as it's been interpreted and it brought down to our level. Because if you go directly to the books, you have these Kabbalah centers, you have this Madonna's Kabbalah, you have all kinds of, but those are not Kabbalah, those are just... Uh, uh, just uh, deviations of the uh, of the real thing. So, why do we celebrate the passing of a tzaddik of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai? And the answer to that is because Rav Shimon Bar Yochai actually requested. Because being the master of the Kabbalah, 
he was able to uh, draw very near to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to God, through the teaching of the Kabbalah. And throughout his life, he strived to get closer and closer to Hashem. But on the day that he passed, that he passed away, which is on the 18th day of the year, like Baomer, he actually reached that level that he yearned for, to be reunited with his maker, to be united with Hashem, in a very profound... Is that like an enlightenment, what they uh, call enlightenment? Uh, well, he uses their various different expressions, what he experienced on that very final day. So he was so joyful, he was so rejoicing that he actually reached that level that he said everybody should rejoice with him because that's his rejoicing with the teaching of the Kabbalah, rejoicing with the level. It's not a time to being said. Matter of fact, that there was one student who did a prayer which you say for the destruction of the temple on Tisha B'av. But this student would say it all the time. But once he said it in Lag Balmer, Rav Shimba came to his dream. He was very upset at him. He says, if you say it in my Yantav, then you're not going to see the uh, comfort when we're going to be redeemed. So he was very upset. So he was very careful to be rejoicing. That's, that's the reason why you have all the people going up to Miron and dancing and making it into uh, uh, a real festival. He was the author of the Kabbalah. Now, I just want you to know, so just these are just uh, things that people make a mistake. Everybody believes and follows the Kabbalah. I mean, even, it, it has nothing to do really with Hasidim or Misnagdim or Litvish. This, everybody follows the Kabbalah. It just depends, and everybody knows that Roshim Bar Yechoi, we're all, everybody, the, the halacha is based on Shemekha was an author, was a Tana of the revealed part of the Torah. He takes up a lot of a lot of uh, laws are based on him. But some don't study Hasidus or Kabbalah, some do study Hasidus and Kabbalah. But the Kabbalah is by everybody's tradition. It's not like uh, it's authentic one hundred percent across the board. So there's nobody's gonna say people can say to you, we don't study the Kabbalah. But they can't, they don't say we don't believe in the Kabbalah. That's an integral part of our Torah. I have a question. Sure, please. So, please. Um, I remember reading something, but I don't really understand. Right, Maybe right. You can explain yeah. to me. Um, so, like when Rabbi, Rabbi um, Shimon Bar Yechai, right? When he died, um, I remember reading something about when, when somebody so great dies, it's like the heaven opens up and everything that that person did good in life comes down. You're saying beautiful words. That's from the Tanya, I know. Is where, that where that's from? Where are you reading it from? Um, I just went online when I was um, reading it because I, w- I had to do my presentation. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's, 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 that's words from the Tanya, that you're, what you were saying over there. So can you it just says, explain it a little yeah, bit? No, it's, it says, but you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right that any time, what it says is like this, you know, this... This world is considered to be like a foyer for the world to come. Mm-hmm. We prepare everything in this world. It's like a proizdor lifnea traklin. Sort of, you step out from this foyer into the other into the other mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Now, um, during the lifetime of a person, 
he does various different things. He does good deeds and prays to God, loves God, fears God, studies Torah, does mitzvahs. All those things that you do, they are lasting effects. They're all collections of various different things that were in the world. Now, when you are passing, on the day that you pass from the world, all those things come together, and they all go together with you uh, into the other world. You're stepping into the traklin, and you're stepping into the other world, into the world, into the spiritual world, and then you actually are able to impact the people that were connected with you during their lifetimes in a much more... Uh, powerful and much more an intimate way because there is no longer any obstacles from physicality which sort of still limit and separate people one from the other. At that point, a tzaddik or a rebbe, somebody who's mm-hmm. a leader, can connect with his people more. So all of his, so that's why that day is so powerful because all of his good things that he did throughout his lifetime, all of them are gathered together, and all of them that has a tremendous amount of of energy and power to it. And that's what happened with, uh, with uh, Rabbi Shimon. So that Bar-Mukhan. would be a reason to celebrate a birthday then. I mean, a that, death. Uh, a death, a death yeah. I meant to yeah. say, yeah. Yet, ordinary by old, we don't find it by old tzaddikim to that mm. extent. We don't find it to that extent like we find Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Most tzaddikim are remembered for their things and it's also a mm. time, yeah, it's, it's not a time to be sad or crying or things like that, but it's a time of reflection, but Barashim Yechoi, we found that special, he reached a special level. Right. Now, all tzaddikim reach a level, and what happened to Barashim Yechoi is a microcosm for what all the other tzaddikim. There's another interesting, just so you know, that it says that the numerical value of Lag Baomer, the, the gematria, that's the mm-hmm. letters, the way you spell them out in numbers, equals Moshe. Most same letters as Moshe. It comes to three hundred and forty-five. I mean, yeah, three forty-five. And it's known that uh, Rabbi Shimon had a spark of his soul for Moshe Rabbeinu, so their souls were interconnected, and the leaders connected. So that's why the, uh, the miracle value his yard site or his past. So there's all inner connections in various different spiritual ways, in which is more than meets the eye on the revealed level. You know, you got to know a lot more. And sure, the Kabbalah talks about all this and uh, and the Zohar talks about this, but it takes, you know, some learning and uh, knowing how to uh, deeper... So, uh, there's another dumb question. No, nothing. No question is dumb. So, the Zohar is just one book in the Kabbalah? The Zohar is the foundation of the Kabbalah, which means... The Zohar actually has several different sections to it. The Zohar is the general name. The Zohar is based mostly on the Chumash. It's almost like a, a Midrash on the Chumash, but it's in it's Aramaic. Deeper, deeper, it's Aramaic, deeper. and it's with esoteric meaning over there, uh, and various different uh, you know statements. But it's but from the same. The entire Kabbalah, though. That's from the same rabbis. That's the basis, and then there's. There's a lot more other stuff that follow that. That's that's separate over there, but that goes on. Other.